0: You can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. So today I am super excited because I have another incredible special guest. Her name is Dee Olateru, and Dee is a CPA and executive at a top four U.S. accounting firm. And she's also an immigrant, but her story did not always start that way. So Dee graduated from college with a ton of debt and couldn't find a job and then started working at a light fixture company earning $10 an hour. And so today I'm excited to have her on to share her story, her journey from going to that, going from that $10 an hour job, navigating life in the US as an immigrant to becoming an executive at a major firm and earning six figures. Welcome to Clever Girl Finance, Dee.
1: Thank you so much, Bola. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I've been a fan of your platform since your photography days. your are not a photography days. And so it just feels, you know, just full circle to be sitting across from you today and having this conversation. And it's been a joy to just watch your journey. Um, I'm so grateful to have you
0: here, and that means you go way back with my early early days so you know those beginning stories I write about in the books but I would love for you to tell everyone who you are and what you do.
1: Absolutely. So I'm Dio Teru. I'm an executive at one of the big four accounting firms here in the U.S. Um, I'm a CPA. I'm a travel blogger. I'm a Nigerian immigrant here in the US, and I'm also the founder of The Rich Immigrant, which is a platform established to change the narrative of what it is to be an immigrant by empowering first and second generation immigrants to attain financial independence and um, maintain our identities and just live fully in the countries that we call home. So you and I, um, we have a lot in
0: common. We're both Nigerian, we're both children, we're both immigrants. Um, both moved here for college. Um, I moved here from Europe, you moved here from Nigeria, but I went to high school in Nigeria. So we have a lot in common. I can have a lot of perspective of where you're coming from. So I wanted to talk to you about just your experience, right? So we've talked about you, or I just shared that you had this amazing role as a CPA at a big four firm, you earned six figures, but you didn't always start it that way. When you first came out of college, you couldn't find a job and you ended up working at a light fixture company. I'd love for you to share more about that experience. How was it going through that experience and how much debt did you have? How did you navigate the emotions of having this debt, but not having a job? You know, I want to know more about those early days of you coming here as a brand new immigrant, trying to navigate um, your life.
1: So, yes, I was an immigrant. So I'm an immigrant, you know, graduated with a great, you know, great um, with honors, you um, was active in college, took on leadership role. I actually had a social life in college. I don't even know how I did all of that. Um, however, I was a student on a visa. And so I applied to more than 500 jobs and um, kept getting no. And so, you know, I had credit card debt. I had um, a bit of my last semester of tuition left. And so I didn't, ha- I didn't have access to student loans as an international student. So while I wanted to get the loans, I couldn't. And so I had to, I went to a cheap school. I did extracurricular activities to get in state tuition. So it was about $4,000 per semester. And it was my mom and my dad, and my sister, all in Nigeria were contributing to my tuition. I was working in school to pay for my tuition, and my, all my living expenses were on me. Um, I applied for every scholarship under the sun, even as little as $250. Um, and so, you know, and, and then as I graduated, I was also then looking at graduate school, which was about $50,000 a year. And I didn't have a co-signer for a loan. And so I was kind of dealing with all of that. Um, and then I, without getting a job, even though I was qualified, right? Um, so I can talk more about working in the factory, but hopefully I've answered that question.
0: So that's really interesting. And again, there's many levels of which I relate to you, right, going to school. And um, I couldn't qualify for student loans either. I didn't have a co-signer to co-sign for me. And my mom was the one who helped support me to, through college. And she was working while I was going to college. Um, like you said, your sister, your parents were helping. And I feel like, you know, when you um, immigrate here and people hear that, well, someone is paying for college or helping you um, go to college. People don't always understand that it's not because the money is just flowing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just there. It's because that's the you didn't have the option of student loans. And I remember, you know, I was racking my mind, what uncles can I ask to co-sign for me? And my, my mom was like, we will figure this out. And I remember there was one the year before I, I graduated, I had to take a year away from college because we just could not afford to pay the tuition. So I can totally relate to, you know, when you get to school. Go on, find a job. Find a scholarship. I was applying to scholarships just like you. I got partial scholarships as well. Um, So I can totally relate. And then when you get the job, it's like a hundred dollars every two weeks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. And you're paying your rent and everything. And I think I one time I also extended an internship to also pay for the next semester's tuition. Instead of a three-month internship, I did a six-month internship because I needed the money, and that was the only way to do it. And then when I graduated, I still have my last semester of tuition left to pay, and so that's why I had to get that factory job because bills were coming, and for me, I could not ask family for help. I had the credit card, I had the last semester of tuition, and I had to find a way to, to at least solve my cash flow problem.
0: What what was the credit card debt that you had, and what, what were you using that money for?
1: Yeah, <laughs> and so... My credit card debt was it was actually mostly for necessities. Like, you know, mm-hmm. my my $8 per hour job could only pay my rent sometimes. And so I, sometimes I used it to, to buy groceries. I used it to buy textbooks. Um, and yes, there was sometimes I used it to buy clothes and stuff because I'm in college and that's what we do. So it was a mix of necessities, right? Because I had nowhere else to go for cash and a little bit of, okay, if I knew better, I probably shouldn't have bought those many clothes that wet seal at the time. <laughs> I know, wet seal. Oh my God, memories. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so I probably had about $7,000 in credit card debt when I graduated. And I probably had like, you know, um, $3,000 left of my last semester's tuition. So it wasn't a crazy amount of debt. But the thing is, as I went to grad school, I I then acquired more debt. By the time I actually got my proper job, I probably had like $22,000, $23,000 in debt Mm -hmm. um, at that time.
0: So one thing that you said that stood out to me was that you applied to over 500 jobs, right? And you didn't yes. find one. Yes. And so you ended up getting this job at a factory, um, yep. creating like light, fi- light fixtures, getting $10 an hour, how did that impact your ambition, especially as an immigrant, knowing that your parents now have this high expectation, we spent all this money helping you to get through college, what do you mean you're working at a factory after graduating, top of your class, summa cum laude, um, earning $10 an hour, and <laughs> how did that impact you emotionally?
1: Right. And so that job in the factory, I mean, there's a little hustler in me. That's what I tell people, right? For me, it was, a, it, was a, it was a solution to an immediate cash flow problem. And so I was just happy to have a job, right? I had all these things to pay for. I had rents. I was thinking of applying to grad schools. Going to family was not an option because I knew they sacrificed for over the past few years and I could not do that. And so I knew that I wasn't going to do it forever, right? And so I was still applying to the World Bank and the IMF in the evenings after my factory job. I was still studying for the GMAT in the evenings. And I was the most educated person on the factory floor, which was interesting in itself. Um, And I think that's always a part of my journey that I'll always be proud of. But I think what actually was the blow to me was the rejection after rejection. So the working in the factory was like, okay, I got to do what I got to do. But... The rejection after rejection after rejection, knowing that I was qualified, I think that was, that was hard. And I think there were moments where, you know, I would cold reach out to recruiters and all of that stuff. And I would come so close and then they would just go cold and stop responding. That was the, that was the hardest bit because I think I was, I was qualified, but I wasn't positioned and I wasn't connected. And I think that was the gap that I had.
0: That's so interesting, you know. And again, our stories are very much aligned. Um, graduating from college, looking for my first job. During that process, I got a job at CVS in the photo department. Um, I think they were paying me much less than ten dollars an hour, like six fifty. <laughs> Or something, but you know, after watching the struggle my mom went through to support me and just knowing, you know, a lot about my family background, which I'm sure is similar to yours, you come out of college and you're like, I need money now. I need to work now. I don't care about the degree I have. Any money I can get
1: is money. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, let's go. I mean, all, I, I think there was some realization after graduation that I was like, time to hit the ground running by all means necessary.
0: Okay, so you come out of college, you graduate, you apply to all these jobs, you get that experience working on a factory floor because you needed money, there was no shame in your game, you were hustling, and eventually you get this job, right? So you still have this $10,000 in in debt from your tuition and your credit card, you're pursuing an advanced degree, taking on more debt. So now you have this 20 something thousand dollars of debt. Um, And just because you have a job doesn't automatically mean you're going to pay off the debt. Many people don't, right? Um, Other priorities come into play. Um, Maybe they're not prioritizing their finances. So you, however, decided that, I want to take control of my finances. I want to create a plan, not just to pay off my debt, but to build wealth, to pursue earning six figures, and to get the ideal job of your dreams, which is what you do now. How did that progression happen? How did you make a decision to focus on becoming debt-free, to get your finances in order, to pursue the job that you have now, to pursue that six-figure income, and to build wealth?
1: Yeah, thanks. That's that's a great question. I think the fire was lit in me on the factory floor, right? When I was earning $10 an hour, I started, I started to realize that this was not the life that I wanted for myself. And so I was, I don't know what I Googled when I stumbled on personal finance blogs, you know, back in the days. And um, I realized that I knew nothing about the financial system in the US. But I think that fire was lit on that $10 per hour, per hour salary. And I wasn't waiting for a bigger salary to start. So even though my, my, my debt grew. In the year that I went back to grad school and all that stuff, my mindset had shifted. And I think that that mindset shift was that was, was the big thing. And so then when I then got the job, you know, before I got my first month's paycheck, I started I, I, I made an Excel spreadsheet to calculate, OK, how long is it going to take for me to pay all of this money, all of this twenty three thousand dollars in debt down? And it was like just done. I paid it down in just under two years. But really, the mindset shift happened on the on the factory floor it took time to execute and I think sometimes we may get stuck in saying okay well I don't have that big salary now I don't have 40,000 50,000 dollars a year in a salary but I think once you decide making that decision is the turnaround point.
0: Mm -hmm. That's great and you know just to be clear there's nothing wrong with working a $10 an hour job you did that I worked a $50 an hour job listen There was no shame in getting that money. Um, If that's where you are right now, do not feel embarrassed about it. Do not be ashamed about it. But you also want to dream bigger in terms of ambition. And I will also encourage people that don't allow the education you don't have to be your limiter, right? Um, You can achieve anything with passion, um, if you wanna go back to school, if you wanna start a business, those are all potential options, but you have to adjust your mindset. You have to be able to be in it for the long and hard road. And that is so important. So you Dee, you created this spreadsheet to pay off this $23,000 of debt. I wanna know how you did it. What was the, um, the process? How did you build that debt payment into your budget? You said you did it under two years. What what were you doing every month to, to to make progress on paying about I'm assuming about approximately two thousand dollars a month towards your debts while still while starting out working on that factory floor um, and not yet having this big time job that you have right now What was the process um, from a financial planning perspective and also from a mindset and self discipline perspective that helped you get through those two years?
1: Yeah. Okay. So let me be honest. Let me be clear. So I started. I I made a plan when I was on the factory floor, but I did not fully execute it um, with the gazelle intensity until after I got a full time, a a bigger paycheck. But on my ten dollar per hour paycheck, I started paying more than the minimum payments on my credit cards because before that, I wasn't even aware that that was something that I needed to do, right? And so with my, you know, hundred dollars, ten dollars per hour, I said, okay, here's how I'm going to increase my paycheck. Um, I increase my, my pay, you know, my credit card payment every month, but I also looked at, well, here's how I'm going to reduce my spending on my credit card. So I think as, you, as I started to become somewhat financially, financially literate, I would say I was probably an infant in the stage, but at least I started having the, you know, I started having the mindset of, well, I'm not going to increase my debt if I don't have to, you know, I'm going to pay more than the minimum payment and I'm going to, you know, at least I took extra hours. I worked overtime in the factory because I had other things going on that I had to save for, I was applying to go to grad school and I didn't want to put that on my credit card. So I would take on overtime hours to be able to do that. But I w- wasn't able to pay all of that off on $10 per hour. I had to, um, when I, I, I was able to pay more off every month when I got a full-time job, but I really started on the $10 per hour.
0: OK, so what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, you created that plan at that very low income that you were earning working overtime and you just made an effort while you were making that low um, income to pay more than the minimum. And then you yeah. really accelerated your plan once you got your full time job that was paying you more money, which allowed you to pay more of that balance. Right. And that I think is really important because a lot of people wait to get the full-time job before they make any um, additional progress on the debt that they owe and paying more than the minimum is something that seems obvious. Um, but it's something that a lot of people overlook because they assume, well, if I pay the minimum amount, I'm still putting a certain amount to that principal balance. However, that minimum amount is designed to help maximize the interest payments the lender is going to take and put as little as possible to your principal balance within legal limits, right? And so Absolutely. paying more than the minimum is always the first step if you're trying to um, get out of debt, combined with reducing or stopping um, the spend on that credit card or taking on additional debt, And another really key point um, is, when you're paying off debts, you want to confirm that those minimum payments that you're making are going towards your principal balance, especially as it relates to loans. Um, personal loans, student loans, anything that is a loan, a fixed amount of debt that you borrowed, not a credit card that's revolving, but like a loan. And we want to make sure that your extra payments are going towards your principal balance. Because what happens is that if it's not clearly designated, right? That money typically gets assigned to interest and you never see your balance go down because you're just paying off interest that's compounding on itself every single month. So you went about it really really smartly, um, I love to hear that you started paying off the debt regardless of your income being small. And as you grew your income, you focused on accelerating your debt payment to allow you to get out of that debt within two years. So, you know, where, did you feel discouraged at any point knowing that, okay, I have applied to 500 jobs. How many more jobs can I apply to you? <laughs> what <laughs> kept you motivated? <laughs> no, it's true because some people yeah. can- it it can be very demotivating. 500 jobs is not a small amount, especially if you're not just applying, but you're going through the interview process. So how did you just navigate, I'm gonna keep applying until I find a job. How did you not get discouraged or lose momentum around that?
1: Yeah, I mean, what I honestly, I would say it's the grace of God, but I think it's also, I think the spirit of, I think I think part of that is, I think the immigrant spirit is one of resilience, right? I, I think it's it's knowing that, you know, I stand on the back of so many and on the sacrifice of so many. And so while my parents have different challenges, this is a big challenge for me, but I channel the energy and, and all the love and the sacrifice they've put into me to to just not give up, right? Cause I think the goal is to, is to make, you know, the path better for, for the next generation. And so, you know, thankfully I'm surrounded by family that was supported, even though they couldn't physically help me get a job. Um, But I also knew that I had to, I had to also pivot, right? I kept applying and kept applying. And I said, well, maybe going back to school is the way that I can get in. And so I had to be open to another option, right? So I I started applying to grad schools. Then I got into a graduate school. Um, I got a scholarship for that. And then there, I had many companies um, try to um, recruit me. So
0: you became the attraction.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, again, yeah, it's, it's then I changed where I was. Sometimes you have to make a move to get into, you know, what you're looking to accomplish. Sometimes you have to physically move yourself or change your direction, apparently.
0: Yeah, that is true. And, you know, many women and men who listen to this podcast are immigrants, children of immigrants, first and second generation, you know, and I would love for you to share from your perspective, what are the challenges that you see a lot of immigrants facing, especially as it, when it comes to assimilating into um, the U S financial system, I know that I have experienced many of them. I have seen my parents, um, navigate through many of them, right, being back and forth here and Nigeria. And I I can imagine that for someone who doesn't have the opportunity that we have, so we're fortunate in the sense that we came here uh, with the opportunity to go to college, right? Many, many immigrants from many countries are not coming here um, to go to college. They're coming here to work, to make money for a better life. And that work is any kind of job right? Any kind of job. Um, My mom, when she first, first moved to the States, she was, you know, she worked as a babysitter. Um, This was a grown woman with two master's degrees, you know, who was making her own money, putting money aside, but to her money was money and she wanted to have more of it to support our very large extended family, her sisters, all these people. Um, and that was really, really important to her. She didn't care what it came from. She didn't care that she was a babysitter. She didn't care at all. <laughs> she yeah, was going to make yeah. money. So I'd love to, <laughs> to hear from your perspective, some of the challenges um, that you, you see other people going through and just advice that you would give immigrants, you know, just navigating what sometimes is a difficult system, what sometimes is complex and overlooks them and isolates them um, in many instances.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. That's a great question. And that's, you know, the immigrants are just a, a, a community that I have a big burden for personally. Um, you know, financial literacy is, is is a challenge that we face, right? And, and I think many times I would say in my experience, I didn't even know what I didn't know. You know, I think I was in the dark, but I thought everybody else was in the dark. I thought darkness was the norm when it comes to finances. So I think, you know, financial literacy is a problem across the world, because even though I went to college here, it's not taught in college, right? And also I, my family's not raised here. So I didn't even have anything to learn from my parents here. I stumbled upon personal finance blogs, stumbled upon it. And so I want to hold space for immigrants that just don't know. And I think there's also a, maybe a shame to, to asking or asking for help to better understand it. I re, when I was paying off my debt, I did not tell my friends what I was going through. And so I, now I'm the biggest person to just say, we need to have more money conversations. And so I feel like if you talk to people, you know better. And now I also diversify my friendship groups. I have friends based in the US that are way far along on the investment journey because they were born into families that prioritize that. And I learn from them. And then I tell my immigrant friends because we are all going to win. And I love that there are platforms like Clever Girl Finance that, that you know share this information in ways that it wasn't previously available to us. I think immigrants work super duper hard. We work incredibly hard, um, but we may not always put our money to the best use, right? Even for me, I, I had paid off my debt, but I investing was still like not on my radar for a few years, right? And so sometimes we work hard, but we don't make our money work hard enough for us. And I think, again, that's part of that, just a knowledge gap, right? And so, you know, sometimes when I try to start investing, I started looking into things and then I literally opened a brokerage account and then I froze. I did nothing for three years. I saved $5,000, put it in there. And then I did nothing because I did not know and nobody in my world knew and so, you know, I think immigrants, we can get stuck in a cycle also of what everybody else is doing in our immigrant circle. And I think we need to be intentional about, you know, branching out, but also giving ourselves grace to say, okay, well, I didn't know better five years ago, but now that I know I'm gonna learn and I'm gonna just do better one day at a time.
0: That is, that is so great. And you know, the ch- I think the challenges with immigrants and finances, is it's so multifaceted. First of all, you come from a different financial system um, into a whole new world, tax, different yeah. tax complexities, different retirement complexities it's really hard for someone to understand and then there's also that obligation that many initial yes. and first generation yes. immigrants yes. have yes. where they're constantly yes. sending money listen yes. western union and moneygram are their next the second place they oh go oh my to go gosh most often. yes and it's sending money and to, to different people. And, you know, a lot of times is at the expense of your goals. And, you know, I was watching an incre- incredible lady on um, YouTube the other day, and she was talking about how she realized that she was sending so much money home to Western Union and the people she was sending the money to where, um, you know, they were just spending it anyhow, because they yes. thought that she had yes. this unlimited yes. trip in the back of her house. And she's like hustling the streets everywhere trying to work overtime um you know all of this stuff to send money back and they're just doing whatever and you know not everybody is doing whatever but at some point you really have to say okay you've come to this this land of opportunity because that's what America is despite the craziness knowing where you and I come from yes (laughs) <laughs> <Hallelujah>. <laughs> knowing where we come from, right? I know, regardless of the madness here, and there is some madness here, where we're coming from. I I I to me, this is a great place to be, right? And I love yeah, Nigeria. Yeah. I, I you know I go there all the time. My family lives there, my dad lives there. It's an amazing place, but yeah. the opportunities here are. Real, and that's why people all over the world want to come here, right? This is a land of privilege, whether you believe that or not, and people want to tap into that privilege to support their own. families and give their own families a better life and you know and they want to do it honestly they want to work hard and so again it's that challenge going back to the topic it's that challenge (laughs) of the financial education it's that challenge of the obligation to take care of your whole family right and that's something that just minorities in general in the u.s are obligated whether you're an immigrant or not um and then it's that um it's that um, embarrassment and shame. Um, there, there is a statement that people used to say all the time when I was growing up that America is a leveler. So basically, you can be whoever you think you are, wherever you're coming from, the god of your castle, <laughs> the king. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: But
0: when you America will you, humble you. <laughs> America will humble you, right? You're gonna get on the yeah. same lines as everybody else. You're, you know, mm-hmm. just, you're not gonna be the king you thought you were, wherever you're coming from. And yeah. there's that embarrassment where people are like, for instance, my mom has many friends. Like, what's you left Nigeria to come and work as a babysitter to do yeah. what? Like, it's that yeah. it's that, yeah. also that burden from friends and family. Um,
1: meanwhile, these people don't have much going on. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, I want to that burden that you talked about and the need to provide and support your family. And I think it depends whether you're first or second generation. I think I have friends that were born here, but their parents are the immigrants and sometimes we feel so grateful for the sacrifice that we forget that we need to save ourselves first. Right. And so, you know, I want to support my family. I mean, when I go to the table to negotiate for my salary. I'm negotiating, you see me, but as an army behind me, you know, I want, it's, 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 a, it's an honor to support my family, but I, I need to put on my mask and put on my life vest first. And I think sometimes as immigrants, yeah, you were talking about people that. Sometimes people at home don't understand how hard you're working for what you're doing, that people, um, they, they miss out on investing in their future by sending money to family where it may not be critical. So I think that we do need to take responsibility for drawing boundaries and saying, okay, is this a need or is this a want? And is this the best use of my resources now, right? And so if it's like, okay, let me save and invest for five years, because 10 years down the line, you'll be in a better position to better support your family. And so I think it's something that we struggle with, but I hope that we're able to start to, to, to put on our own masks first and save ourselves first while still honoring the sacrifice of our families.
0: Yes, that is so important. It's, it's not that you don't want to help people you care about. Um, my mom and I have this conversation often. It's that you need to secure yourself and secure your family and knowing that something were to happen to you, those people are not sending the money back to you. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Not coming back to you. And you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging. It's interesting, but, um, you know, you have made it work. You, you've you probably made your parents super proud. They probably tell everybody, my, my dad is the
1: king of that. So he's the king of that. My dad is the king of that.
0: <laughs> so I would love for you to just share any um, advice or tips or last words of encouragement for anyone who's listening to this, who is navigating, you know, the journey as an immigrant trying to figure out their finances, who is a child of immigrants who doesn't really have that support system to talk about finances in America because their parents, their family can't really help them because they don't know someone who is trying to get their finances together, but also has the obligation of their extended family that's not here with them that they need to support. I'd love for you to share any encouragement, any tips, any advice um, based on your own experience and the experience you've seen other friends and family around you have.
1: Yeah. um, So I would say, you know, just if you're trying to just start your journey, I would say just start where you are. And take one step at a time, right? Um, Don't feel pressure from what, you know, social media makes things crazy. And I think people look at me on social media. I travel quite a bit and all that stuff, but I'm also, I try to be very honest about my beginnings, right? And so don't be, don't be, um, don't be, you know, discouraged by seeing what others are doing. Everybody has a different path, but I'll say start where you are and just commit to doing better every day. And I think there's also so many, there's so many resources that didn't exist 10 years ago. There's Clever Girl Finance. There's, I, I have a platform called The Rich Immigrant. We're here, we're, we're, your, we're your community, right? And so when I did a tribe I didn't have when I was paying my, paying my debt, these tribes exist online and you can be a part of that. So please, you know, plug into that community, whatever community resonates with you, Plug get plugged in there but also if you're trying to um, I would say also commit to your own learning, right? I, I shared about my mistake where even when I paid off my debt, I didn't learn about investing. And so I would say many times we, 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 we get over one hurdle and we just get comfortable with getting our paychecks, paying our bills and all of that. We don't, sometimes we, we stop dreaming bigger when we achieve a relatively comfortable life as immigrants. And I would challenge you to, 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 to not stop there. You didn't come so far to just come this far. I would say think about the grand vision you have for your life, right, and, and, and leave that out loud. And financially, you know, tap into Clever Girl Finance, read about investing, learn about opening brokerage account, because really the sky is the limit. And we can define when we're in a, we're in a state of, of, of life where we can define the lives that we want. And I hope that we have the courage um, to go ahead and do that. And for those that are dealing with, you know, obligations to family, I understand it. I support my family. It's a priority to me. But I also prioritize investing in my future because in doing so, I'm also investing in my family long term.
0: I love that advice. And I love that you talk about don't get comfortable um, because you've built a comfortable life that you dismiss your dreams and you didn't come this far only to come this far that is so so key um we're all guilty of oh yeah you know i'm okay here this is so comfortable i, I haven't quite yes. gotten everything i want but you know this is cozy and we we don't want to step out of our comfort zones um but there's so much more um that you know we have to accomplish as women you know um as immigrants as mothers as business owners you know as whatever you want to be in your life um don't yeah. settle don't get too comfortable. Um, I love that advice. So Dee, what is your Clever Girl Superpower?
1: <laughs> My Clever Girl Superpower is creating what I wish existed. Um, I think whether it's from you know creating a platform to talk about money with immigrants and have these money conversations that we don't have or to showing that I can show up as a black woman and travel the world and have been to 56 countries and I showed that on social media because it didn't exist when I started traveling or she's just having career conversations with immigrants and women of color, because I think that we need to show up for ourselves at work as well. And so that's my superpower is creating things that I wish existed on my journey. I
0: love that. And you have been to 56 countries. Tell me more.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it started after I paid off my debt, but I always (laughs) wanted to travel. (laughs) I always wanted to travel. And um, of course I wasn't from a family. My first flight was to come to America to go to college. It wasn't from a family that traveled, but it was always something that I wanted to do. And so when I paid off my debt, I booked my first trip backpacking by myself to Greece and Turkey. I was supposed to go with a friend, but she had to cancel. And I was, again, in that position, like, can I do this? Should I do this? My family is like, who do we know in Greece and Turkey? <laughs> and I was like, nobody, but I really want to do this. And I'm so glad that I, I went ahead because... It triggered something in me because there's a fearlessness with me when it comes to travel. And I, I mean, from that, I have pursued I've been worked for my firm on four different continents. I've done a secondment to the UK, came back to the US and travel is just my my passion It's the way that I it's another way that I show up in the world. And so um, I show women or for the working woman or the black woman in diaspora how to do that. And I did a lot of that. I've done all of that on a Nigerian passport, which is a lot of, a lot of work. You have to get those visas, girl. <laughs> I'm a professional visa applicant, yes.
0: That's amazing. You know, I remember um being um a, k- a younger a kid, um, and then you watch all these um you know American shows, and the kids are going on summer vacation. And I'll tell my friends, hey mommy, you know, dad, I want to travel.
1: And they're like, travel to way. Travel where? <laughs> travel to travel to way. <laughs> yeah yeah it's well, a whole nother topic on how vacation and just taking time for life was not part of my childhood or anything we considered what have you done in your life that you need a vacation? <laughs> that was my mom yeah.
0: what have you accomplished in your life you that you need a vacation from what <laughs> and to what please sit down at home hey, friend. so yeah. do you have this incredible platform called the rich immigrant and yeah. I'd love for you to tell everyone listening more about what you offer, where to find you, how to connect with you and all of that good stuff.
1: Yes, absolutely. The rich immigrant was born in quarantine, believe it or not. Um, and as I, as I started to think about people affected by job losses due to COVID and all that stuff, again, I thought about the immigrant community. I was gonna do a travel podcast, but I thought, well, that's the easy way out. How about I solve a problem? And, you know, when you think about the word immigrants, you know, rich doesn't always come to mind, right? You think about people that escape from their countries and are struggling, and maybe that's part of our stories, but it's not the full story, right? And so, you know, I just want to change the narrative on what it is to be an immigrant and to have a platform that has conversations and talks about things from the basic stuff that helps people um, just live fully, right? So part of an immigrant is not just coming here and I think many times we also play small in the workplace and all of that. So I want to talk about financial independence and just learning enough to, to to change, you know, the trajectory of our lives, but also think about how we show up at work and how we show up in the community and how we um, how we blend the two cultures that we belong to. Right. So I'm Nigerian, but I've lived in America for half my life and how do I show up at work, right? And I think even how I show up at work has changed over time because I'm more confident in who I am, but I want more people to be able to bring all of their secret sauces to work and to the spaces that they belong every day. And so I created that platform to talk about money, but I also talk about things like, you know, how immigrants can show up for themselves at work. I talk about lending money to families. Should you do this or not? Don't um, and do so <laughs> Yeah. And so that's what The Rich Immigrant is about. It's just a place to help immigrants live their full lives. Um, And you can find it on Instagram. It's called The Rich Immigrants. And you can visit the website at therichimmigrant.com. And the podcast is The Rich Immigrant Podcast. That is awesome.
0: And I will be sure to make sure that we put all that information in the show notes so people can find you uh, and check out what you have to offer. And I love what you're doing with your platform. And I wish you tons of success.
1: No, thank you. And thank you for inspiring. Thank you for leading the way and inspiring people like me to even have the boldness to step up. I appreciate that. I'm grateful to have you on here. And thank you so much, Dee. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning into this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here and I'll talk to you on the next episode.